Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, some of you may know this about me, others of you uh, may not, but I, um, I'm not the most sporty person in the world. I was telling some of you a while ago, oh, actually from up here, so I told all of you, uh, that I was, <laughs> I was doing flying trapeze for a little while earlier in the year. Many of you have asked me how my trapeze is going. The answer is it's not. It's not going. It's over and done with. If I wanted to do trapeze again, I would again be very, very sore afterwards. It's been so long uh, since I've done it, but I have taken up a new... Uh, I don't know if sport is the right word, but I've had this realisation that I still need to steward my health well, even though my trapeze is not continuing. Sadly, uh, it was a short-lived career. And so I've joined at that gym. You know, the gym that's just opened across the road. I've been making friends with the trainers when they were sitting out on the street. And um, anyway, and so I signed, up to, I signed up to their gym and I've been going along there every couple of weeks. Now, this may be the point in the sermon where you decide you're crazy, I'm not going to listen to another word that you have to say, because the type of gym that it is, uh, is a gym where you have to wear a heart rate monitor and they put your heart rate up on a screen for everyone else to see. I know, I know. Why? So please bear with me. I'm not crazy, I promise, even though I have decided to join up to this gym. Uh, but they put your, there's a TV screen and everybody on the screen has a box. And on, in the box is your heart rate uh, and how many calories you've burned and a few other things I don't actually understand, truth be told. Uh, but uh, the, the colour of the box that's got your name, so Emily H, changes depending on how hard you're working out. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. It's awesome, yeah, it's great. And so if it's grey, then you've got a a resting heart rate. So when you first rock up, usually it's grey. And then when you start working out a little bit, it turns blue and then green and then orange and then red. It's called Orange Theory Fitness because if you spend 12 minutes or more within a one-hour workout in the orange or the red zone, and red is like, bring it down a little bit. If you spend 12 minutes or more within an hour in the red or orange or red zone, uh, then you, um, you're supposed to, it's scientifically proven to be a more effective workout, basically, in summary. And, um, and so that's why it's called Orange Theory Fitness. If you are wondering, there you go, this is not meant to be a sales pitch for the gym across the road. <laughs> But you're supposed to have an elevated heart rate when you're working out, right? I don't know if you've seen those ads on TV where let's do Australia, let's do 30 minutes of of heart rate raising exercise every day because when you you raise your heart rate in exercise, it's good for your health, it's good for your well-being. Joel and Leone nodding over there. Yes, I know. (laughs) We're bumping to each other running in Wollstonecraft and bumping into bush turkeys (laughs) along the street. Uh, It's good for you, it's good for your health uh, and your well-being when your heart rate is elevated in exercise. But when it comes to everyday life, do you want an elevated heart rate? No. A resting heart rate is what we're aiming for, right? That's, uh, if you want to flourish uh, and be, uh, be at rest and have, um, be at peace and, and do good work and be productive and these kinds of things, an elevated heart rate consistently is not, is not going to help you. So my question for us this morning is this. What is the, what is the heart rate of your soul? See what I mean by that? Underneath it all, when it comes to, to your heart, your soul, do you, do you have a resting heart rate? Or underneath it all, are there fears, are there anxieties, are there uncertainties that just mean that you're a little bit on edge? You're a little bit uh, stressed out. There's not a deep and abiding peace in your soul. 
That's my question uh, for us this morning. There were a few things that I asked myself as I processed this uh, with God in preparation for bringing this message this morning to kind of do a bit of a heart examination uh, with myself to see what, what my heart rate might be like in my soul. And these were a few questions that I asked myself, which I'll pose to you as a bit of a filter for us. Do you cram your schedule too full and never fully show up to anything because you're afraid on missing out on something better? Are you on edge at work because you're afraid of never fully measuring up or never getting the promotion that you think you need? Have you found yourself addicted to something because you don't know how you'll get through life without it? These kinds of things are all symptoms, if you like, just a few of an elevated heart rate of the soul. Now, we were created to live fear-free lives, fear-free lives uh, from a place of rest with a resting heart rate in the soul. And so my question for you is, what is the heart rate of your soul? In your day-to-day life, what is your heart rate like? And how can we discover, most importantly this morning, how can we discover, what can we learn from the psalmist's experience? How can we discover to have a resting heart rate? We long for that, don't we? We live in a busy city. We lead busy lives. How can we find that deep rest that we were created to have and from which comes the most fruitful lives that we can live? How can we discover that? What we see in this psalm that Anne read for us so beautifully this morning is that the object of your trust in life is what sets your heart rate. The object of your trust is what sets your heart rate. And the psalm shows us that there are two very different things that we can place our trust in with two very different outcomes for our heart rate in our soul. A lot of our elevated heart rate, when there's fears and anxieties and insecurities, a lot of that stems from our tendency as human beings to trust in our own efforts. And not only trust in our own efforts, but more specifically, trust in our own efforts that move us into the realm of God's responsibility. There are things that we are responsible for in our lives and then there are things that God is responsible for. And don't we have this tendency to try to save ourselves, to try to justify ourselves, to bring the kingdom of God? All of those things are God's responsibility. We get to participate with him in bringing his kingdom to act as kind of like midwives, but to think that we can bring his kingdom is to overreach what it means to be a human That's that's God's responsibility. And so we have this tendency as human beings to overreach what it means to be human, to trust in our own efforts, to try to achieve some sense of peace and rest and a sense that we're okay in the world. And what it does for us is it stirs up an, an elevated heart rate because without these things that we think we need, we don't know if we're okay. And so we're always on edge. The psalmist has been through this. And he's, he's been through it, he's been through the process uh, that God, I think, is leading us into this morning. And he says of what he has learned in verse 1, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. What's he saying there? My heart is not proud. He's saying, I don't think of myself, uh, in, I don't think of myself more highly than I ought. I don't think that I'm the most important person in the world. I don't think that I'm the only one who matters. 
I don't think of myself more highly than I ought. My eyes are not haughty. It's not really a word that we use too much these days, but haughty means high. My eyes are not haughty. My eyes, and that refers to my focus. You can only have one focus in life, can't you? Really, you can't focus on more than one thing. I can't, anyway. Focus on more than one thing at a time. And so to have a high focus means, that, means to, have a, um, to be focused on, on ambition, to be focused on achievement, things that are even beyond your level of ability, stretching into the realm of God's responsibility as your primary focus. It's your primary focus. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I don't overreach into the realm of God's responsibility. I know what it is to be human. I'm content to be human. I don't need to achieve God things, the things that God is responsible to achieve. And you've seen, you've seen people like this, right? You know what this looks like. What it looks like above the surface of the life of somebody who lives like this is things like, like behaving like your superior, being judgmental. How that works is that you think, oh, I've, look at all these things that I've achieved, things that are in the realm of God's responsibility. I might think I save myself because I'm such a good Christian and so I'm all right with God because I do all the good things that a Christian person is supposed to do. And so then there's a sense of superiority that comes with that, isn't there? And I'm better than that person because they're not doing, ticking all the Christian boxes and doing all the good things. And it's very easy, it's a very slippery slope from there to start to look down your nose at other people and come across with this air of superiority as a result above the surface. Overreaching what it means to be a human being or a child of God. That's above the surface. Uh, what do you think it looks like uh, below the surface for somebody like this? Because above the surface, there's the superiority and the judgment and things that can easily come with that. But at the same time, you look at someone like that and it's very easy to think, well, they're in control of their life. They've got it kind of all together. People want to be them. There's a lot about it that doesn't look too bad, you know, if we're real. There's a lot about it that looks kind of appealing. But if you dig beneath the surface of the life of somebody like that, Do you think if you were to take away all the achievements that they have, if you were to take away the accolades, if you were to take away the things that that person clings to to feel like they're okay in the world, do you think maybe you'd find an elevated heart rate of the soul? Do you think maybe you'd find some fear, some insecurity, some uncertainty underneath the surface? And even deeper, do you think you might find a person who has no idea that they are loved and cared for even without the achievements. There's this elevated heart rate that bubbles up as a result. And what we see above the surface is this superiority, pride, haughty eyes thing that the psalmist has learned how to work through and move out of. The way that this played out in my life is I was that kid in, um, in high school, particularly in year 12. I was like a nut for my HSC. I was obsessed with getting good marks. And I, I was that kid in class who always, could not let it rest every time an exam came back, every time an assessment came back. I had to know what everybody else got. Was anyone else like that in school? 
No one. Okay, just me. Great. All right. Good. Okay, confession then. Confession, guys. I was that kid in high school who had to know what everybody else got. Say I got 16 out of 20. Now, 16, that's a, that's a decent mark, but I didn't know whether it was decent until I knew what everybody else got because if everybody else got 18, 16, my friends, is not a decent mark. 16 means you are, you are no good. You don't belong here. But then if everybody else got 12... Then, you, then, yeah, I feel good about myself. I've done all right. I've done all right. And so I somehow found myself in this place where my sense of value was totally attached to my performance. And my performance was dependent on comparison. I didn't have, I didn't have an immovable, deep peace. I didn't have a resting heart rate of the soul. That I was okay, regardless of whatever mark I got, even if I got four, one, zero. Actually, I got five out of 20 in the chemistry test once, which included a mark for my name. (laughs) So sad. What a generous teacher. I loved that. Anyway, that is totally beside the point. I had no idea. I didn't have this deep resting heart rate that that I was okay regardless of my marks. And unfortunately, I took that whole mentality into my faith. That if I, t- if I did the good things and I avoided the bad things, performance, all things in my own strength, p- trying to play God, being a little godlet, that, that I was okay, that I was going to be safe, that I was going to be secure, that I could be content. And, um, and I had this conversation with my grandmother one day, and this is when you know you're in dangerous territory, and she t- told me that I'd become really judgmental. I was like... Okay, right. Okay, if grandma's telling me I'm judgmental, then maybe I need to do a little bit of self-examination. And, um, and that was maybe my early 20s. And then since then, like it's, this has been a journey with me and God in learning that actually my value and my worth and discovering this, this resting heart rate is not found at all in my achievements. It's the same journey that this psalmist has been on and that I believe God is inviting each one of us into this morning to learn to come to a place together as a community where we can be at peace in our souls with him. The psalmist has discovered it. Um, I hope that you would be up for the journey of discovering it as well. I've put together a few questions for you as a little um, heart examination exercise for us as a community. Are you up for it? Excellent. That was like 80% yes, so we'll go with it. Uh, The questions are going to come up on the screen. If you've got a piece of paper or a phone or something uh, to have a think through these, I'm going to give you like 30 seconds or a minute just to have a think. There might be nothing that comes up out of it for you, but in case there is, let's go through this uh, moment to filter, just kind of like a heart filter, just to see what might be going on for us. Question one, what is one tangible thing that you're trying to achieve for yourself at the moment? Number two, what is the worst thing that could happen if you don't achieve it? And question three, is there a fear underneath that? And if so, can you identify it? I'll give you a minute to have a think.
There's probably a lifetime of thinking in those three questions, so a minute is definite, definitely doesn't cut it, but hopefully that is enough uh, for you to get a sense of something from, from God, who I trust has been speaking to you in, in that time, and as you've, been, as you've kind of been processing uh, something that might be going on uh, in your heart in this area. Maybe nothing's come up for you, uh, and that's, that's also totally cool, but I hope that in that time... There's something that's bubbled to the surface for you that you can engage with God on as you go deeper with him um, and move through this process uh, together, all of us together, uh, as the psalmist has done and as as the psalmist leads us in. Um, Thankfully, I don't know what's come up for you in that time, but thankfully there's hope for us. Thankfully there's hope for us. There is a way to find a resting heart rate uh, for our souls The psalmist goes on in the rest of the psalm to show us another posture rather than grasping on to things in our own strength and and relying on our own efforts and our own achievements. There is a different posture and it's it's the kind of heart posture that we were created for and it's the kind of heart posture that brings us to a deep place of rest, a resting heart rate of the soul. It takes a lifetime to learn. This is, I read that this is the shortest psalm to read and the longest to learn how to live out. <laughs> this is a lifetime journey. Um, but, and it's scary because it's, it's, it's really hard to let go of something that maybe you have spent your whole life relying on, that you've always believed that you need this thing in order to be okay. To transfer, first of all, your belief that you need that thing to saying, actually, actually I'm, I'm, I don't need it in order to be okay and to be secure. And secondly, to transfer your heart posture, to transfer your trust to something else is a huge, it's a long process. We're not going to just hit this on the head in, in 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Uh, hopefully this is, the, this is the beginning of a journey or a reminder of a journey that you're already on. And the new posture is that um, yeah, the psalmist has learned that instead of trusting in his own efforts, he can find uh, a resting heart rate by trusting in the goodness of God, which overwhelms his fears. He can find a resting heart rate by trusting in the goodness of God, which overwhelms his fears. It's the only way to the deep rest and contentedness that we were created for. It's the only way to finding a resting heart rate for our souls. The psalmist says of what he has learned in verse 2, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Is that a beautiful picture? In contrast to this grasping, striving Uh, The psalmist has learned that peace and contentment, this deep knowledge that I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm secure, I I don't lack anything, it's found in becoming still in God's good presence and looking up to him in quiet trust. That's a safe and a sacred place where the goodness of God, the experience of the goodness of God in his presence, his good presence, overwhelms your fears and overwhelms your anxieties, overwhelms your uncertainties. It's bigger than them. It's like it drowns it out. Again, it's a lifelong process. (laughs) But this is what's available to you this morning, available to each of us. The picture we have here is of a child uh, who is no longer breastfeeding and is content to sit 
with her mother and look up at her mother and be content. This child has gone through the process the psalmist has been through and learned that, that she no longer needs the things that she once relied on in order to be okay. She no longer needs to scream for them, to have an elevated heart rate, to feel like she needs what she once needed. She's okay with simply the mother's presence. She's calm, she's quiet and content because she experiences the goodness of her mother in her mother's presence. Can you imagine if that was our experience as we sat with our God? To recognise that we are loved and we are cared for even without these things that we think we need, even without the accolades, even without the achievements, even without the car, even without the money, even without the house, even without the clothes, even without the friends or the partner, whatever it might be for you, to sit in God's presence and experience his goodness that overwhelms our fears and tells us you are loved, you are cared for, you are okay, you are safe, even without that stuff that you have maybe spent your whole life relying on, that you have always thought you needed in order to be okay. People's opinions, people's approval, whatever. You're okay simply because... I am a good, good father. Can you feel how that would change your heart rate? Maybe it's changing your heart rate right now. The rest that that could bring your soul. To know that you are okay, loved, cared for, even without all the stuff. What if that were true? Wouldn't that just be the best news ever? how peaceful, how restful our lives could be. None of the scrambling, none of the striving. Just living from a place of rest, which we were always designed to live from. Now, you might be thinking, uh, hang on a second, am I just going to become a monk on the lower north shore of Sydney and do nothing and hide away in a treehouse somewhere or something (laughs) and do nothing with the rest of my life, not ever achieve anything, not ever accomplish anything, have no ambition. Is that what this psalm is saying? Very good question. I don't think it is. I don't think it is saying that. I don't think it's saying that accomplishment is a bad thing, that achievement is a bad thing, that ambition in the right measure and in the right frame is a bad thing. Those can be really good and godly things. What it's saying is that our, our working all, always ought to arise out of a place of rest. Out of a place of looking up at God first, being with God first, experiencing the goodness of God first, experiencing a resting heart rate first, and from that place working. From that place achieving things, but not because we need them in order to be okay because we have first experienced a resting heart rate and from that place we can, live the, we can flourish, we can live the, the fruitful lives that God has always designed us to live because we don't need the things. And then when we achieve them, they don't make us superior, they don't make us judgmental because we don't think that we've earned them for ourselves. 
we had a, um, a silent retreat, not a silent retreat, a, a team retreat a few weeks ago with the ministry team. And Andrew, who's the new campus pastor up at Taramurra, taught us a little bit about some spiritual practices, one of which uh, is the practice of silence. I found that very difficult. I don't know <laughs> if you find that hard to believe. However, it's true. I, like, I've always been a chatterbox. When I was two, I would pick up the, receive the phone at home and I would talk to the dial tone. <laughs> When I was two, I would go to the pool and I would have my swimming lessons and I would talk and I would like, blah, 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 and I would, even though there's water going in, I would continue to, like, like my life has always been characterised by chatter, by talk. So needless to say, I found it very difficult. I sat there on the beach for my half an hour of silence with God and like the idea is you don't, you don't even talk to God, just simply be, just enjoy his presence and let him enjoy your presence. And I sat there and I found it so hard to not try to impress God with all these thoughts thoughts that I thought were really clever. Like, God, look at all these mysteries of life I'm solving and figuring out. And look, are you appreciating my logical flow of thought here? Like, are you so impressed with the, like, no, he's like, can you just enjoy me and let me enjoy being, can we just be together? (laughs) This is is hard. This is is a hard thing for us because the things that we, that we suppress with all the noise and all the activity in our lives bubble to the surface when we're still. That's why this is a lifelong process. But can you imagine if we practiced this? Actually, can I challenge you this week? Could you take five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, just to sit, sit still? Not to try to talk, not to try to think clever thoughts. Just sit still on your own, whether you're a Christian or not, and just enjoy that time. See what bubbles to the surface. Enjoy, just enjoy God. Let him enjoy you. That, in, that thought in itself might bring up some thoughts for you, the fact that God enjoys your company. Could you try that this week? In fact, could we try that together? This was never intended to be an individual effort. The final verse of this psalm uh, says this, verse 3, Israel. This psalm is written to a community, God's people Israel. It was one person's experience, but it didn't stop there. He's then leading the community and us by extension in this process. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Another way of, of framing that is wait on the Lord. Don't try to do it all yourself. Wait quietly for him to move, for him to act, both now and forevermore. God's people that this was written to had spent years living as little godlets and they paid the price of it and they're learning now what it is after God has brought them back to their home in Jerusalem, what it is to find their feet and live as God's people. And this is what he says to them, put your hope in the Lord, be still. Just be content to be a human being. Let God be God. And you be you. Don't overreach. Be still and experience his goodness. Experience the fact that you are loved and cared for without any of the stuff. Silence, being still with God is is one of the only ways that that becomes true to our souls. When we get rid of all of the stuff. Even for a moment. So how could we actively wait on God as a community? How could we be still together before him? as we go on this process together as led by this psalmist, led by God through this psalmist. I think a big part of it for us is that we look, we look at God. 
Imagine this child looking up at her mother. She's, she's, it's quiet trust. She's looking at her mother. I think that's key for us as a community, right? We look at God. And I love that our God doesn't leave us in, in any doubt about what he looks like, does he? We're not in any doubt about what his character is, what he's like. When we're looking at him quietly, is there any, is there any doubt about who we're looking at? He's made himself so tangible to us in Jesus, right? We know we are looking up at somebody who is kind, somebody who is good, somebody who gets angry at injustice, somebody who is patient, somebody who loves us before we accomplished anything at all, good or bad. Somebody whose worth that he puts on us doesn't ever change. That's who we're looking at. It's this God who made his mark in history for us to be able to look at. We're going to spend a few minutes now as a community turning our eyes to him as we consider Jesus Christ who lived the life that we couldn't live. Even when we try to overreach into the realm of God's responsibility, we can't do it. It just gives us an elevated heart rate. He lived the life we couldn't live. Perfect life. He died the death that we should have died. And he rose from the dead, bringing those of us who trust in him and not ourselves with him into a fresh new life, characterized by joy and peace and a resting heart rate. And so we're going to take some time now as a community to fix our eyes on him, to look to Jesus. We're going to do something to help us in that, to make it really tangible, and that is to take communion together. There's some trays on these two tables at the front here and at the sides. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you use this moment to fix your eyes on him afresh, to be still with him as you do this, as you remember the cross? And simply experience his goodness in that act for you. Just be still and experience it. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to be still together with God as we take communion. Let's pray. Father, you are all we need, all our souls need. We acknowledge that right now, God, that we have run after other things. There are things in our life, God, that we have always lent on for our security, that we've always lent on for our value, that we have always lent on for a sense of peace that we can construct for ourselves. And we don't know what life might look like without those things, God, like this child in the psalm. But Father, I want to thank you this morning that it is possible to know contentment, to know peace, to know security without those things. And even better, that knowing security without those things, God, brings us the resting heart rate that we were created to experience, that we were created to live for. That it might be possible that our lives could be way more fruitful than they are right now because we could be living from that resting heart rate of knowing our peace and security in your good presence. 
So Father, in this moment, as we turn our eyes to you, Jesus, would you shift our belief systems about what we need? Would you shift the object of our trust? And in so doing, Father, would you shift our heart rate? God, I pray against fears over us this morning that you would break them now, God, in Jesus' name. That your goodness, God, would just descend on us now, Father. That it would settle over us, your presence, God. That we would know that we are loved and accepted without any of the things that we have spent years leaning on that we have thought we needed in order to be accepted. Would we find rest in you this morning, King Jesus? Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.